Welcome to the Holy City Church podcast station. This is Pastor Angel. If you missed Sunday's sermon or want to listen to it again, you're in the right place. We're glad that you can take the time to catch up as we go through God's Word together. So I hope you're ready. But if you're not, grab your Bible. Let's get ready for what God has in store for us today. Said, I want you to join me again in Colossians chapter 1. My wife read it at the beginning. Uh, I'm going to read it again, but you don't have to stand up. That's okay. I'm just going to read it. We're going to go into the next four weeks. We're going to look at uh, a small series in Colossians. We're just going to look at four very, very important points that Colossians is trying to teach us. And today we're going to start with verse 15. I'm going to read all the way to verse 23. Uh, and it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And, he's, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was placed to dwell, and through him to reconcile to him all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil things, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that, it, that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation on the earth and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this word that we're about to look at. Father, thank you because Thousands of years later, you've preserved this for us, Lord. Uh, Father, we ask that you start to work in us. Open our hearts and our minds to soften our hearts and, and allow us to, to live out what you called us to live out and allow us to understand what it is that you have for us, even when it's difficult or even when it hurts, Lord. Father, thank you for who you are, and I pray that whatever words that I speak may not be mine, but yours. In your name we pray. Amen. So lately, uh, I, I know you, most of you noticed, but there's, a, there's been a growing trend of many false doctrines that have been going around, uh, whether it's coming from the church outwards, a lot of bad teachings from the church to the outside. And there's even been a lot of big trend of outside teaching coming into the church. Uh, if you remember, that is something that the church has had to deal with throughout history. This is not something that's new to us. We've seen it many times where we've seen churches have to deal with those false teachings, those false doctrines. I mean, we just, ran, we just went through the letters in Revelation to the churches, and we saw they all had something going on in the church, right? Something false that uh, Christ didn't want them to, uh, to be involved with. And, of course, that has never changed. As we've, been doing, we've been dealing with that throughout history. Uh, we're dealing with something very similar uh, nowadays, especially with the younger generation. 
they're asking questions, right? We, we, we are, it's a good thing, right? We, we always, you know, try to emphasize, hey, guys, if you have questions, if you're struggling with something, ask the question. Don't keep those questions to yourself. And the younger generation is doing that. They're asking questions. They're, they're looking at what's happening in the world. They're looking at what's happening in the church. They're looking at what's happening with their friends. They're asking the questions. But the congregations are not helping with the answers. And we saw with statistics the last three weeks how the younger generation is struggling and they're living the faith because many different reasons, but mostly because they don't have what they need to know. They're, they're not getting their answers uh, that they need for their questions. They're not being helped by the church. So therefore, they're going to have to go out to different sources to get this information. And when that happens, they're going to start getting false information. They're going to get false teachings. They're going to get anything they can, but it's not necessarily going to be the truth. Hitler once said, and I know I'm quoting Hitler, but he's, he was a very smart guy. And he once said, he alone who owns the youth gains the future. And he's right. And we know he's right because he did it, right? He was able to gain those people and was able to convince them to mass murder millions of people, of Jews. So this is the same concept. We need to tackle those questions from the youth so they don't go stray and get that information from somebody else. Do you understand? The church should be doing the best possible job teaching and discipling so we can keep them on the right track. If we don't keep the youth on the right track, the future generation is not going to have the correct information. They're going to have false teachings. But it is difficult since we live in an age of information, right? You can go anywhere, online, Google anything. Anything you have to Google, any question you have, you can go online, type it in, and you'll get some kind of response. And trust me, I've, I've checked. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you noticed, I think Google knows what you're about to ask before you ask. And I think they're in your mind for something because you type two words and they already know exactly what you're going to say. So by the time you're halfway through your sentence, they already know what you're trying to Google. So you can go in there and find any information you want at any time. You get instant access to many res responses without having to wait or to talk to anyone about it. You don't have to wait for me to respond to your call or your text message. You don't have to wait for Sunday. You don't have to wait to gather for Bible study. You have a question about anything in your mind, anything you need to know about history. Anything is all available there at your fingertips. They have all the access and all the information they can think of. And not just, just the younger guys, the younger kids, the younger you know, uh, ladies. All of us do. Every single one of us has access to this information. We have the ability to do so. But the problem is that this information that's available to them, it's not always 100% accurate. It's a lot of bad information out there. Anybody can post anything online, especially if you have an account on Wikipedia. You can post anything, and who cares, right? That's why it's not allowed to be a resource uh, when you go do your homework, right? You can't quote Wikipedia and get credit for it because you never know who's posting that information. 
So we as humans tend to seek out what's convenient to us. So what happens, so when you put it in Google, you're going to see a whole bunch of response, but which one are you going to click on? The one that's going to be a more convenient for you, the one, the answer that you like the most, the one that you're leaning towards to, whether it is something good or not, we're going to be like, okay, is this wrong? Oh, this guy says it's not. Let me read what he says. You got 10 other ones that says yes, but that one that says no, that's the one you're going to go to. We have a tendency to go look and seek for answers that we want answers for, questions for ans the answers that we want for. That's why we don't get a lot of people to come to the, to the pastor and be like, hey, pastor, I got a problem. You wanna, can you help me with this? Because you know what the pastor is going to say. So what do you do? You go to your friend. Because your friend is going to be like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're okay. So don't go to the pastor. The pastor is going to say you're wrong, but go to your friend. Because the friend is going to support you and is going to say all the nice things that you're doing is okay. Don't worry. That's why we, we tend to go look at this, this convenient, whatever we want to hear. And we're always going to go to that resource. When we find that resource, that's so after a while, what happens is we start listening ex to exactly what we want to listen to. We don't hear what we need to. We listen to what we want. So we start to create this own unbiblical idea and unbiblical false religion because now we're, we're going after what's not true. We're going after what's the false. We're going after what we want. And it's not about what we want. We have already developed so many false ideas of scripture that we, that we have to ask people when they say they believe in Jesus. We have to ask them what Jesus is that you're talking about. And, and we should be like, okay, hey, we're talking about Jesus. Yeah, we know we should, common sense, Jesus is the Bible. You know, the Jewish Jesus that died on the cross. But no, we have to ask because we have created so many different Jesuses that they do so many different things that we have to ask, what Jesus are you talking about? Because we're no longer sure that we're all talking about the same Jesus. And we have all had our share runnings with those who, who believe that there are many gods, not just one, right? We all have friends or some many different ways of getting into heaven depending on where you're born. If you're born in this culture, you're, you're going to make it by following this religion, don't worry. If you're born here, that's what's for you. Go there. There are all types of religions. They believe there's all types of religions. And, and they believe the many who say, you know, Jesus is a prophet, right? But some, many of them say, no, he's just, yeah, he's just a basic guy. Many say, oh, he's a prophet. That's all he is, right? You, you have those people that you deal with all the time. We have many friends who like to mix religions a little bit of here. Let's grab a little bit of the Christians and a little bit of the Jews and a little bit of the Catholics and the Muslims. Let's just kind of build one awesome religion. Just this week, I was talking to, uh, to Raf and Alex, and then I hear who goes into a group of people and they have a, like a conference, a 15-minute quick speech about something amazing they thought of, right? Uh, it could be some invention or, or, or an idea or something. And they go in there to inspire those in regards to that idea. There was these two people talking and, uh, and they were claiming to be believers. They, they came dressed, you know, like 
in uniforms, church uniform, I guess, if you want to call it. Uh, and they claimed to be believers. And they came to talk about how we need to take context. We need to remember about the context when we read the Bible. It is important that we remember the context that is in. But while they were trying to explain and trying to tell us about it's how important it is to keep context, when we read something, they were taking things out of context. So it's funny how they came to teach context, but yet they were taking things out of context. And he said, which is disturbing, but he said, the Bible God, and it, does, it doesn't have one theology of God. Therefore, it doesn't have one definition of marriage. So, this is believers. Remember, these were believers reading the same Bible I was, coming in here to talk about context, talking about how there is not one definition of God. There isn't one theology of God. There isn't one God. There, there's many different views of this Bible, so it's okay. I don't know if you see a contradiction there. Big, giant problem. They talk about how society takes the Bible out of context to fit their own purpose. And I agree. I agree with that. We do tend to do that sometimes. So they came to talk about that while taking the Bible out of context to fit their own purpose and agenda. <laughs> because that's the way they were trying to teach. You got to watch the whole video. So of course. And it seems like a lot of this is happening. We're seeing a lot of this, especially with the younger crowds. This is not new in the body of Christ. This is not brand new. This is not a brand new concept. This is not a brand new idea. This is not a brand new problem. If we go to back to what we read, we actually see Paul writing a letter to the saints and the faithful brothers in Colossians. And the reason for this letter is not very clear. There isn't a specific reason why he wrote this. He didn't write, hey, I'm writing because of this. So we don't know exactly the reason why, but based on some of the details in the letters that he was writing, it looks like the reason he may be writing was because there were many that have been involved in some kind of doctrinal issue, some kind of false doctrine. There was something false happening within heresy. They say that there was corruption. Christianity with elements of mythical and legalistic Judaism combined together. They were taking ideas and putting them together, taking different points of views and adding and subtracting and implementing certain things that you must do, you must not do this. It was a whole big mix of different uh, laws and ideas. It was almost like it was an early sign of Gnostics which is a collection of ideas emphasized personal spirituality over orthodox teaching. It's, it's, it's focused on spiritual things and not actual teachings, not literal actual teaching where you can open and go through it and be like, okay, this is what the truth is. It's not what I feel. This is what the truth is. That's what it was, looks like it was happening during that time. That's what it looks like, the reason why he wrote this. And it was a time just like our time. 
It was a time where religions was being remember there. Sounds very familiar. That's kind of what we talked about it looks like today. But at the end of the day, whatever the reason was, the reason why he wrote this, the situation was so important that it was enough to catch Paul's attention, enough for him to write a letter. So Paul's purpose was to refute the Colossians' heresy. And Paul's solution to the problem was to start with a better understanding of who Jesus is. Because that's where it starts. If you understand who Christ is, real Jesus, the real Jesus of the Bible, if you understand who he is, everything else kind of starts to fall into its place. So I believe he starts with that reason for that, uh, with Jesus, right? And sometimes it is better to know the truth, right? In order that you can tell with things that are not true. But if I tell you the truth, anything outside of the truth is false. So if you're not seeing this, this is the truth. And if you're not seeing this, that means it's false. It could be anything. It could be hundreds of different dif- different things. You can see now there's tons of different beliefs, tons of different religions, tons of different ideas. I don't have to tell you about every single one of them. I can just tell you about one. If it's not this, then it's wrong. That's what he was doing. That's the approach that he was taking on those people, and that's the approach that we're going to take today. Because human philosophy compared to Christ is empty. So knowing the real Jesus in the midst of all this confusion is only going to benefit us more. We must know who Jesus really is. So let's start there. Let's start with the deity of Christ. So let's look at it. We've got a good time. I'm not going to go super heavy detail, okay? We've, we've done it before. Uh, we, we'll do it again. So I'm just going to go kind of big. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And when we talk about the image, right, that word image of the invisible God in this text, there's two ideas that we can uh, draw from it. First, it's a likeness. So it could be saying it's like a reflection or it's like, you know, the reflection in the mirror or maybe like a coin, right? When you clone, you got two sides to a coin. Uh, so the idea will say is it's not God, it's like God. That's the easiest way I think of explaining it. And then the second thing we can look at it is, is it's seen as manifestations, which means it's it's the full revelation. So when he talks about that, he could talk about one of those things. So, but Paul's not talking about being like a mirror image of God. He's not saying Jesus is like God. He's not saying that Jesus is the, no, this is actually, I believe, is where the Mormons get the idea of that they're like, you know, like God, you know, little gods, uh, different gods because they say well okay we're we're creating the image of god as well so if jesus is the image of god we're creating the image of god so therefore we like gods but that's not what paul is saying some based on some greek scholars if paul was trying to say that jesus was like god he would have used a different 
Greek word. There's a different Greek word. I wasn't even going to try to bring you the Greek word because I don't speak Greek, so I'm not going to pronounce it correctly. But there is a different Greek word to emphasize a mirror picture. And that's not what Paul used here in Greek. He didn't use that. He used a stronger word because he was sure without a doubt that Jesus wasn't just a mirror image of God. He knew for a fact, as a matter of fact, he was so sure that Jesus was God that he was willing to put his life on the line for it. That's how sure he was. Remember, Paul didn't die because uh, of an idea. All those disciples that died didn't die for an idea. They didn't die for a belief. They died for something. Everything I have in my bank account that you are not going to put up your life for it. I guarantee you that. So they were willing to put their life on the line for it. He did as well because of something that he was sure. He knew Jesus was the full revelation of God. He knew that Jesus was God, or is God, because He still is. See, there's this belief, right? It's called the Word of Faith Gospel. Many of you know it. Maybe you've heard of it, right? It emphasizes the idea that we have the power to bring things to come into existence because we're like Jesus. So if you say, you proclaim it, right? If you have enough faith, it'll come. So say it enough times. Believe it. Believe it, and it will happen. If you believe it, if you look in the mirror, say it ten times, it will happen. I'm, I'm being sarcastic. That's not. But that's not the case. We're not created of God. Full person of God. That's who he is. And we're just his creation. We're not like Jesus. We're not like God. Remember the beginning of Genesis, when they ate the apple, it was almost like if, you know, the console of God was, you know, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. We're kind of laughing at us and saying, oh, look, they're like us now. <laughs> right? He's being sarcastic. We're not like them. Jesus is God himself, just like Paul says. He says, we can't see God, right? We know that. We can't see God. God is not, has two hands, two feet. He's not bodily like we are. But we see God in Christ. He says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Okay, so first thing, for someone or something to create time, that someone or something has to be outside of time. You can't create time if you're in time. It doesn't work because you're already in time. So that means if you're in time, time was already created, right? So we have to understand that. And that's Jesus. Jesus was outside of time. Before anything was set in motion, he was already there in the cons of God. Before time was created, before anything was created, he was already there. John says it in John chapter 1, verse 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning. He was already there. 
see the same thing. Second Timothy chapter one verse nine. Purpose who saved us and called us to the to us Jesus before the ages began. Before the ages began, he was already there. And now here Paul says the same thing. He's saying the same exact thing. Jesus was there before time. And the second thing Paul goes on to say that not only was he there before creation, everything in existence was created for him and by him. Everything around us, he did it. There's nothing. My dad used to say this. He used to laugh at him when he used to preach when he was when I was young. He'd be like, "You didn't create or invent anything. God created everything. He invented everything. You just discovered it. That's all you did." But it's the same idea. There's nothing in this world that we have created. Nothing. This wasn't by accident or an evolution. And if there was, it didn't create itself. I happen to believe maybe so. I, don't know. I think some kind of noise is going to happen, right? When you put awesome things together. <laughs> sure. Big bang, I believe it. But not the way the atheists believe it. Said so Big bang created itself. That's just out of nothing, something happened. Sure, there's a big bang. But it was created by God, by Jesus. The whole universe. Everything. There's many universes. We all know that through science and all that. They've created, they've seen many different universes, at least the idea of other universes. Every single universe out there, which I know is difficult to even fathom or understand how that works. I don't try because I just go into this whole depression and, and anxiety and and have panic attacks, so I don't try to. But everything that's out there, everything was created by him and for him. And what an amazing creation that is, right? Nothing compares to it. Not even our minds can comprehend or even grasp a lot of it. We've only scratched how we are created. But they are willing to admit that a single human chromosome contains 20 billion bits of information. And if you write all this information in a book, you know, a standard, ordinary language, a standard type of book, it would take 4,000 volumes to write down all the information a single chromosome has. I mean, that's evolution? Come on, seriously? By mistake? I don't think so. I mean, look at the world around us. Everything, we see his perfection. Did you know that bees make their own air conditioner? When it gets too hot inside the, uh, the beehive, some of the bees go out to the entrance and they start flapping the wings and it creates a ventilation so that wax doesn't melt inside. Me either. But how amazing is that? I don't know. Something so amazing to witness. Yet there are so many teachings that there is no creator. Jesus ain't God and, and all that stuff. Man, it's, it's hard to understand how there is no God when you just look in the mirror yourself. 
be like, look, I know I'm not good looking, but man, look at all this, how all this works. And every generation has had to deal with, you know, since the beginning of time, it's had to deal with groups of people who doubt, right? We have our own. And as the new generation comes, the more we have. It's because we're not understanding, we're not teaching the truth. We must remember that. And we must teach the Bible. It's very clear that Jesus is before all things and he himself is the beginning. And all the things means that all leaders, all angels, no matter what rank, no matter who they are, no matter what it is, it all belongs to God. They're all God's creation. I mean, imagine if, if we were to remember something like this during elections, right? Imagine if we were to remember we were all created by God, every single one of us. No matter what idea we had, we were all created the same by God. It would have probably looked a little bit more tolerable in the real definition of tolerable, right? Where we can actually talk like humans. He goes on to say, he sustains all things. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, this week in Bible study, we spoke about how even in the midst of all the chaos that's in Revelation, God's still in control. He's still holding everything together. You're like, oh, everything's falling apart. No, no. God's still in control. And it's good to remember because we tend to forget the existence of God when things start to him. Somebody, right? He's, I know this person. I've talked to him before. And he's like, oh, yeah, God and Christ, oh, yes, amen, awesome. But when he wasn't allowed back inside his home because he did something he shouldn't have, all of a sudden, is God even real? Now you're questioning because you're not getting what you want? We so easily forget. For here's what Paul is trying to say. Jesus is a sustainer of all creation. Therefore, he holds everything in creation, everything that comes to pass together. He holds everything. He knows everything. Everything happens because he allows it to happen. There's nothing outside of him. Nothing. As a matter of fact, without Jesus, nothing exists. You say, well, how's that? Right, I mean, think about it. That was probably a sign, right? That wind is crazy today. This was the one to say, hey, let's create some humans. Jesus doesn't exist. There's no humans. There's no planets. There's no universe. Then he goes on and he says he's the head of the church. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. So without Jesus, there's no church body. There's no reason to gather. There's no Jesus. I always say, hey, if Jesus didn't die on the cross, let's go home, man. We're wasting our time here. There's no point. Let's go home, drink, and be married. There's no point of anything. He's the source of church, just like all lakes and rivers, you know, are not self-maintained. They require some sort to ex some source to exist, right? You got a puddle in the back. Hey, look, it's a pretty puddle. Wait, don't let it rain for a while. Let's see what happens. There's a way. There's no the church exists because of him. And 
what we do will have no purpose if it wasn't for Jesus. You guys, many people, they'll tell you, what's the purpose of you doing what you're doing? Ah, I don't know. I don't have a purpose. We just do it to keep things going. There's no purpose. Let's just do stuff because. I've heard many say that Christianity is just something someone came up with so people can have some kind of hope when they're in difficult times. Yes, many times we have spoken about the importance of lifting each other up as a church in the midst of difficult times. I agree, you know, we, we do have we do have that. But that's only possible if Jesus is real. It's only possible if Jesus is who he says he is. We can't lift anyone up if we don't have a source to lead those people to. Imagine asking, telling your friend, hey, you're struggling, but there's hope in what? Jesus ain't God. What hope? But since he then he says he's the first to be resurrected. Verse 18, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So how do you disprove anything? Right? How do you disprove that Jesus is not God. It's an easy way to disprove that Jesus is not God. Disprove his resurrection. Show me proof that Jesus did not come back to life. It's been, what year are we now? I'm losing count. 2020? It's been roughly 2,000 plus, 2,000 something years after Jesus died. There has yet to be one proof. Even the people that were there Living at the time couldn't prove that Jesus did not resurrect. I mean, yeah, they couldn't prove that he did not resurrect. They couldn't. They have many different ways. They tried. The Bible tells us they tried. They couldn't. There's been many others who claim to be like God. There have been many people who said they are God. There's many who says they're a prophet of God. There's many who say they've been sent from God. But only one of them has made a claim that can be easily disproved. Jesus made a claim that you can disprove in a second. He said, you will tear down my body, you will tear down my temple, but I will rebuild it in three days. That's very easily disproved. We just talked about it. He's the only been the only God who can. Jesus came back from the dead, just like he said he, he was going to, which means who he is, who he claims to be, right? If he got that right, he got everything else right. I mean, if somebody came back from the dead and he said, I'm going, you're going to kill me, but I'm going to come back from the dead. Don't worry. In three days, exactly. I'm going to listen to everything that person is saying. I don't care. I don't care if anybody's going to think I'm crazy. Whatever you say, you came back from the dead, I'm listening. No one's done that. So that means, because he did come back from the dead, 
but there is no other real God. Everything else is not real. Everything else is false. Only Jesus is. Jesus said it himself, like I said, if he got that right, when he said he was the only way, he is the only way. It means that he was right, that he is God as well. Which is what John says, the fullness of the deity it is in his body, it's, it's in bodily form. Right there in verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The word fullness in Greek is just another way of saying Jesus is truly God. This here, this verse points to his divine power and attributes. And it was a permanent state. This wasn't a temporary state. Jesus did not was only God for a few minutes. No, permanent. He is God and always been God. He is permanently God. There is no building. There's no statue. There's no angel. There's, no, there's nothing in this world that is like God. Nothing. There's nothing in this world that is God. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves be God. Jesus is and only is God. You're only going to find the fullness of God in Jesus. He isn't just a prophet like many claim or a good teacher, right? He's a good teacher, but none of that he says is true. Well, that's a crazy teacher. He's a good teacher or a crazy teacher. You got to pick. You can't say both. Some say he's just a prophet. Right? We know some religions claim to Jesus to be just a prophet. He is fully God in human flesh. And only through him are we reconciled to God. So you're saying, okay, what, why does all this matter? What, okay, yeah, okay, whatever. Jesus is God. Why does it matter? Here, look, let me read verse 22 and 23. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, both steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and which I, Paul, became a minister. See, this is important because we were once all alienated from God. We've all once been separated from God. We all once belonged to a broken to the brokenness of this world that came from the race of Adam. We've all belonged there. That's where we were born into. We are all accepted this alienation by rebellion against God. Because we rebelled against God, we said, yes, we're from there. And we all have. So at one point in time, you accepted the fact. That you're broken and you're alienated from God. But here's what Paul is saying. That you're not anymore. Because of what was done on the cross and what he has done. That's why it's important. Because that's where the hope of the gospel is. Because if Jesus did not do any of that. 
If it's not any of that, what John said, there's no hope in no gospel. There's no hope if Jesus is not who Paul says he is. It means that we're still in debt to God. It means that we still got to pay for our penalties, which is death, which is eternal hell. That's what it means. That's why all this is important. That is the hope we have in the gospel. That's why it's important that we continue in this truth. We must continue to preach and teach the truth. Religions that is going to fully satisfy the purpose of everything. Look around. Go take a couple of minutes. Take a week and go look at another religion. I promise you're going to be back if you really studied Jesus. If you really know Jesus, you're going to be back. Don't worry. I'm not too worried about that. You're going to see they have no hope. There is no real purpose. There is no religion or idea that has the need of justice be fulfilled. And we all have that, right? Every single one of us sees something evil happen to someone, whether we think it's good or not. We all have that thing inside of us where we say, man, he should get what he deserves. That's the need we have for justice. There's no other religion that fulfills that need. There is no other means of satisfying what is required. Only the truth of Jesus. When you're a sinner, be able to go to sleep at night knowing that you are forgiven. There's nothing better than that. That is the true hope of the gospel. That no matter how broken we are, because of who he is, we are forgiven. I'm going to leave you with this quote from, from John Piper. He says, The gospel is the good news that there is hope for sinners, the worst of sinners, the hope of forgiveness, reconciliation, and holiness. And this hope goes on to all nations. This is not just limited to us. It's the whole world gets to experience from this hope. But it's only possible because Jesus is fully man and fully God. And he is who Paul said he is. And pray with me. Hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, would like to connect or listen to our library sermons, jump right over to our website at www.holycitychurch.us. Again, we want to thank you for listening. And remember, this podcast is not intended to replace your time at the church. So we hope you have a blessed week and talk to you again next week on Catch Up with Holy City Church. Holy City Church.